April Maza. And this is Christy Showman Fair. And this podcast is overdue. We're friends and colleagues, librarians, librarians. And on this podcast, we talk about books and other stuff we're loving. Good morning, April. Good morning, Christy. How are I'm you? I'm doing okay. I Good. Yeah, yeah it's a Sunday. Um, I've been very productive this morning. So Really? Yes. Yes. I have not. <laughs> I mean, as productive as I am on a Sunday morning. So dog walking, coffee making, laundry. That's about it. Oh, that's pretty good. That's good. All I've done today so far is get ready for (gasps) our podcast. And we're really happy to announce that we have a guest today, Maya Escobar, who I know I met a million years ago. Um, I just feel like I've known you forever. And we wanted to have you on the show to talk about um, sort of what you've been up to in library land, but also beyond, because you've had some interesting paths that you've been on. So yes, welcome, Maya. Thank you. So happy to be here. I wish everybody could see your smile. Like when April introduced you, you had like this big, huge smile. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, and your fabulous necklace. It's like a, a white bat but it's very um 3d it's like sculptural it's made out of ceramic actually i found this etsy seller i forget it's i forget the name but they're spanish and they make all these beautiful ceramic creatures including this fat bat which i love it that's awesome it makes me think of a big marshmallow (laughs) (laughs) awesome don't eat it though too crunchy (laughs) So, so what we're going to do is a little different today. We're going to, um, we're each going to still talk about a book because that's like our favorite part. And I'm always so curious what other people sort of bring to the table. And yeah, and then we're just going to chat with Maya for a bit. And we'd like to let you go first, Maya, with your, what book you chose to Ooh. talk about. Well, uh, I have returned after a brief uh what would i call it sabbatical to the world of librarianship but i am um i'm part-time right now and also i have re-entered children's librarianship where before for the last i don't know 10 15 years i was pretty much focused on teen services but this means that i have to re-familiarize myself with picture books and there are just so many new wonderful picture books coming out all the time and this was one that was on my list it's evergreen by matthew cordell the, the caldecott medalist who earned it i will say like first of all as an art art person his like gorgeous sketchy pen work is just, uh, I, it just it is so hard to know when to stop with pen hatching and pen lines and like this like kind of scribbly texture that just works so beautifully is uh really inspiring to me as also like there's like some comicsy moments that I really love like close up on the face of fear so the story though is about um a little character in a little red cloak who has to make a perilous journey through the forest And that is Evergreen the Squirrel. And the book starts out deep in Buckthorn Forest at the northernmost edge of Burr Valley, high in the tallest red oak tree behind the closed curtains of a bedroom window, hid a squirrel named Evergreen. Evergreen is afraid of everything, but is sent out by her mom who makes magic soups to cure the sick on a very important errand to take some soup to Granny Oak, who has the flu and is in dire need of this soup. And along the way, Evergreen, it's broken up into little chapters with each character that she meets. So there's a rabbit, there's a big hawk, 
Um, there's some frogs. So it has like, it has one of those feels of like those little bear books where each little section is its own little story, but then it is a whole long narrative in itself. And I will not give away because there are some really delightful, unexpected twists and turns that happen with the characters she meets. And of course, it's all about, you know, Evergreen realizing that she is actually quite brave um, and is actually maybe even having a good time taking the soup to Granny Oak. Um, and yeah, I really loved it. It made me laugh. I love the um, the framing and the insets. And the- yeah. Very classic. That framing is used for each character that comes along with the branches around. But then if you look closely, which is something I think, there's always a little evergreen like on her journey, like clinging there, oh, which I think, yeah. I know when I was a little kid, I loved like finding gold bug and the yes. scary books and stuff. So that's just like. This is definitely a sweet, cuddly bedtime And is Ember a sure. red tail hawk? Yes. Oh, that bird. I draw a lot of birds also. So I'm just like, dang. <laughs> Maya is showing us the picture and Ember is carrying Evergreen <laughs> in their uh, claws. So it's a, a very dramatic spread we're looking at. But yeah, even though like on screen it's small, I can see that there is so much detail in these illustrations, like really beautiful. And you'd mentioned like the little bear books. It makes me think of that because the color palette's very um, small. You know, I see, I'm seeing like lots of greens and sort of like gray brown and a little bits of red here and there, but it's, it does have that classic feel in terms of like a limited color palette too. looks like a great read aloud. Yeah. It's, it's fun. I definitely want to take a look at that. And you, you've sort of alluded to it a little bit, like your your artistic um, endeavors. When you are looking at picture books now, you know, and after having, you know, been away from children's librarianship for a little bit, do you look at picture books differently? Are you looking at the art in a different way, do you think? Or did you always have an eye towards like the different uh, types of art and things like that? I definitely always love the art. And I I feel it is a great tragedy that children do not read picture books for longer than they do, especially when you get to like incredible picture book biographies and just, you know, books where so much, so much work has gone into the illustration and the story. And in the library I'm working in now, there's a really beautiful picture book biography section. And I just feel like, is anybody taking these out? I mean, these are such magnificent books. I, I love them so much. So parents, like, please don't stop reading picture books to your kids. I know there's like a real temptation to move on to big kid books and, and being independent readers, but I think picture books can be a part of that. And oh my gosh, the stories they tell. But yes, as far as looking at illustrations, I've always, I do have favorite illustrators. And so when a new book like by Christian Robinson comes out, I'm always like, oh yes, I'm lying for it. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose we do have, we did in the school I went to, we do have a, an assignment that is uh, making a picture book and picture book art, um, which is like, the hardest thing. I think it was probably the hardest assignment. So yeah, a lot of respect for successful picture books. I still don't feel like, I know it when I see a great one. I don't know that like, I definitely don't feel that I have yet like internalized like the magic formula that (laughs) makes a picture book happen. 
I love what you said about like reading picture books, even as you get older. Like I still enjoy them as an adult. I, I, I like to think I'm not an anomaly. It's just more that people don't think of them. They don't give them a chance. And I do think like, yeah, young readers, they're so eager for that next step. Whereas the writing of a picture book and the interpretation of it is still a very sophisticated thing. Like we were always trying to explain that when I worked in a public library, like they're not just for babies and toddlers. <laughs> they really, you need to be able to read at a pretty high level. Anyway, I could go on. I could go on. I used to read uh, picture books out loud to my teen advisory group and they loved it. Like teenagers love picture books too. And, you know, I still read out loud to my kids now, although my 13 year old is less excited about me reading out loud. But yeah, picture books are for all ages. We need to put that on a (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. I don't usually do this, but do you mind if I go next? Because I also have a picture book and I have a wordless picture book. Oh, I love that. Called The Midnight Fair. And it's by Gideon Sturrer, I think. It's S-T-E-R-E-R. And it's illustrated by Maria Chiara de Giorgio. And I just learned that she's Italian, which is sort of sort of relevant. Um, <laughs> but I picked a wordless picture book because I've actually been thinking about them a lot lately. So I checked out like a bunch of sort of newish ones from the library. And this one really rose to the top. It's just really, really cool. Um, but I also thought it'd be fun to um, talk about a wordless picture book because we have you on the episode today, Maya, and thinking about, well, I was thinking about comics and um, visual I love, literacy. Yeah, I love comics. And there's real, like, um, what would be the word? A relationship between a wordless picture book and comics. Um, and, and for this one, that's true too. It's, you know, the sequential art, there's interpretation, like you said, visual literacy. The illustrator makes use of panels. So, you know, it just kind of like got me thinking on that. But basically, the story of this is a bunch of forest animals sort of take over a fair after it closes at night. All the humans leave and the animals take over and they, you know, do fair things. So it's very funny. It's really humorous. They go on the rides. They play games. They, you know, get the cotton candy, all this stuff. But it's also really sweet because it's showing families and friends having fun together and experiencing the fair together. And there are just all these great details. Um, and every time you read it, something different comes up. But I love like they pay for the fair, like the tickets and the the rides with um, like nuts and berries and pine cones. <laughs> it's sort of their currency. And, you know, really with any wordless picture book, especially the art just has to, you know, really shine. Ha- and actually speaking of shine, that's one of the things I love about this book. It glows. So I'm not sure how much you can see here, but like one of the <laughs> one of the opening scenes is showing the animals sort of in the shadows, but their eyes are glowing. And it just, there's so much glow. I don't know how, you know, this artist did this um, showing a scene with like the Ferris wheel, but it really looks like the animals are watching the people at the fair. And it really looks like the pages are glowing and she's really captured like all these different types of light you know there's lights from the rides there's lights from signs the the animals eyes as i mentioned and like so here's another one where they're riding the carousel which is also just kind of funny because it's like the carousel has animals (laughs) horses but then there's like animals riding animals funny to me like a little little fawn riding a horse and yeah they do the bumper cars and then 
um here's another cool like little glowing and you can see how it is in panels but it's showing like they're on the ride but then the fair sort of keeper is they're showing him asleep and then the owls come in in another panel to sort of say hey it's almost time to to go and close up the fair but yeah i mentioned the artwork like i don't know how how this artist is it pastel did that well i did learn it's it's watercolor gouache and colored pencil, oh, pencil. Okay. um but i would still love to sort of i'd love to see a video yeah. or something or you know maybe there's a interview out there or something like that yeah i found it really gorgeous just like really um sucked me in i also think it's so intriguing to have an author um <laughs> i guess i was like i was thinking i'm more used to like you know david weisner and like barbara Lehman who do wordless picture books but they you know, they quote, write and um, do the artwork. And I never really thought about a book where there'd be a separate author. So I would also love to learn more about that. Like, what's that process like? And how does the author and illustrator work together? And how would it be different with a traditional picture book? Because a lot of times we hear like, oh, they don't really work together. Like, they work separately. And um, the editor sort of um, works with them or whatever. I'm like, how do you, yeah, there's no text. I wonder, I can kind of imagine though, like having an author write a narrative about a story, a story about the animals and just saying, illustrate it. Yeah. Don't use the words, just illustrate it. Well, and here's the thing. I can't imagine this book with text. It just would be dumb. Like, I feel like it would, (laughs) I feel like it would be over, over explaining something right and it also makes it seem more realistic because the animals um well animals don't talk and these animals are sort of they're not like ultra realistically drawn but they're not cartoons um it's it's a little more like impressionistic but they're you know they're more on the realistic looking side so to have them talk at the fair it would be a whole different book it would be like more like a cartoony kind of fantasy whereas this like you could believe it right like you are looking and they're like, hand, you know, little raccoon hand, you know, handing over some acorns um, for tickets. So yeah, it's just, it's just really cool. One other fun fact about the book, though, because I was looking up a little bit more about the creators, I just didn't know anything about them, is that Gideon, the author... Um, his parents owned a small zoo in upstate New York, and he would run around and let the animals out of their cages. So uh-huh. I like thinking of this as like, that was his inspiration for this book, maybe sort of mulling around in his brain for a while um, <laughs> until he had the chance to do it. But it is it is really absolutely beautiful. And I do think it would be a lot of fun for all ages, really, because of like I said, there's something new every time you look at it. You can talk about the story. And there's like a little story within a story as well. You mm-hmm. know, there's little, like if you follow along, there's kind of little subplots <laughs> happening. But yeah, and it's just a lot of fun. It's it's beautiful. I recently had a visit with a school library that was uh, kindergarten through second grade. And we were talking about reorganizing their picture books. Um, and one of the recommendations I made was to pull out all the wordless picture books and make them into their own section. Because, you know, th- th- there's so many pre-readers in that group. And then they'd have this capability to to easily find a book that they can read, you know, without text. Mm-hmm. That they still can tell the story and understand what's happening. Because wordless picture books are so, and they're so useful for for school, but also just 
incredibly fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. I really have been enjoying looking at just newer ones because I hadn't really, you know, without working in a library, I'm not in tune with the newest of anything. (laughs) (laughs) But especially uh, wordless picture books. So Christy, what did you? uh, Yeah, I wasn't smart and I didn't get the memo. Um, I did not pick. What? There's no memo. (laughs) Um, I feel like we usually are on kind of the same wavelength, but I don't know. I had no wavelength this week. Um, So I went back to the last book that I read and really loved, um, which I had been reading because I I flew a lot over February and March. And I read Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. I love those books so much. Oh my God, yes. So um, I had been hearing about them. They were in my echo chamber for a long time and I kept thinking, oh, I want to get it. And then I happened to go to our local bookstore with a friend right before I was flying one of the places. And uh, Gideon the Ninth was on display. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to buy it. I'm going to buy it and I'm going to read it. Um, And on the cover, it's um, the quote uh, is from Charles Strauss. It says, lesbian necromancers explore a haunted gothic palace in space, which is like the perfect encapsulation and also like the best draw you in kind of quote. Absolutely. I need to know more. Um, So this is a a chonker. Yeah, I hadn't been reading books more (laughs) this big for a while, but it was fabulous to have um, on my trips. And so this first book follows Gideon, who is uh, an orphan who was raised in... Oh, so the world... I feel like I have to back up. So the world is uh, multiple planets and, and realms where all where necromancers exist. And Gideon lives in the ninth realm is a person who has basically been beaten down uh, her entire life and now has this opportunity to go elsewhere to another planet with her bully. Um, Harrow is this um, the child of the um, the king and queen of the ninth and she's terrible. But Gideon is now, in, in order to try to escape uh, her her fate in the ninth. She has agreed to go on this quest um, with Harrow as, and I'm totally blanking on uh, the name. Her cavalier. I'm like, why can I not think of this? I read the book. I read the book, but it just like my brain just starts dropping words and losing them. So Gideon goes as as um, Harrow's cavalier. I honestly don't want to give away much more than that because if you haven't read any of them, exploring and un- getting to know the world is a big part of like the the story building because you're dropped into this place that is so unlike our universe and our plane, and it and it's such a delight learning and like figuring things out. And can, there are like layers of mysteries um, throughout it because it really does end up being kind of a murder mystery too. Um, yeah, the, the book and I cannot wait to read the next one. There's so there are three now. Three, and there's going to be four. I just read the third one this fall. And do they stay as good? Oh, they do. I will say the second one is um, a real shift in the storytelling style. Also, the character perspective yeah. changes for each book. Yeah. But I say, like, stick with it. And actually, I've been meaning to reread the first two after reading the third one because there's a lot of – there's so many characters, and sometimes I would get, like, wait. Like somebody gets a callback yeah. and you're like, oh yeah, that's that person. So, but so uh, I really, oh my gosh, it. they're so great uh, about this book is that there's back matter in a in mm-hmm. so like there's Ooh. this whole <laughs> section explaining all the houses and the and the um the people 
who are sent from the houses to this kind of uh, exploration place. And so it says that um, cohort intelligence files. So you can get a little background on each of the characters. But then there's like a whole section on the explanation of naming systems in the book. And I just love getting that insight into an author's creative process. And, you know, you don't get that a lot when you immediately, right? You might get it in an, in an interview or um, if you read a ton about an author, but you don't get it in the book. Um, and so I really loved that. And um, and I actually did find, because as I was saying, there are a lot of characters and I there were times where I was having a hard time keeping everybody straight. So having the back matter was really helpful so that I could go back and forth and kind of figure it all out. Um, and there actually was... Um, in the front too was the dramatis personae a list of all the characters. So Ooh, that's helpful. Yes, very helpful. It was a nice dive in. Um, I laughed a lot. Um, mm-hmm. There's so many like really like biting um, dialogue scenes that are just fantastic. So it, it was a really great travel companion. I also love how I feel like Hampson Weir just like was like, I love these things yes. and I don't care if you think they don't go together. Because I want them to go together and just go on this, just trust me and go on this ride with me. And it's uh, yeah, so fantastic. Yeah. And also, like, there are so many different kinds of necromancers in this world. Like, I always just thought, mm-hmm. like, you know, in my brain, there's just one kind. And they're not very good. <laughs> That's what right? I would thought, too. <laughs> no, no, there are multiple types. So highly recommend. Um, it's a It's a good kind of book to sink your teeth into. And it's the last one that I've read recently that actually I kept wanting to read and didn't want to put down. So Ooh, always yes. good. And I would say we do have a theme. Yeah, you can correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> but I think our theme is world building oh. and how that yeah. can happen in various formats. It's not, you know, limited to uh, like a chapter book type novel book. Would you say, because Maya, it seemed like your book had its own world. Yeah, the forest world. It does feel like, you know, what we're talking about, things like like Little Bear and Little Red Riding Hood is also obviously a little homage in there, but also very much like the Hundred Acre Wood. Like this feels like a book that could have had a map (laughs) where it was like Evergreen's tree and then where Evergreen goes, you know. Um, You should draw it. (laughs) Maybe that's something that then, readers could do. And then make maybe, their own map. Yeah. Or then maybe they could find the fair. Oh, the there you go. Um, yeah. I had forgotten to mention, I had said the, the uh, sort of the setting of the illustrator was relevant. It's only because I know I had read a review where it said like the animals are a bit Euro centric because there is like a wild boar (laughs) and i think there's like a hedgehog or two and they're like red squirrels or whatever but you know i still feel like evergreen could travel to this midnight fair oh yeah possible squirrels everywhere absolutely (laughs) and then when when she's older go into space (laughs) visit visit gizine's world very cool. Well, thanks for sharing your books. Now I have more to add to Always, my right? list. The list just gets longer and longer. Eternal. <laughs> uh, so as I mentioned um, earlier in the show, we, we had asked Maya to be a guest. We wanted to talk about sort of just what's been going on with her because she's a friend of ours. And we, we had yeah. asked her to um, create a, lo- a new logo for us new artwork for the podcast so we thought 
we should, you know, also honor you by having you on the, <laughs> the show. But um, I don't know where you want to start. Well, I could say, talk about what I'm doing now. So after a, a long and wonderful career in public library service, working for children and then for teenagers, uh, I was a librarian at the for the city of Cambridge for about 20 years. I embarked on a it is a lifelong dream. Let's let's be real to make comics. And I was accepted into the Vermont Center for Cartoon Studies, which is a small but mighty car- school for cartooning in White River Junction, Vermont. They the school was started, I want to say around like 2005, 2006. We were just meeting with some folks from First Second and they said like First Second and the cartoon school sort of seemed to happen simultaneously. So, I think around that time you know, it's a small school. They offer both master's program and certification, um, depending on whether or not you've got your undergraduate degree. That's pretty much the difference. But it's the same same uh, class for everybody, one and two-year programs. And it is a focus on, on making comics and also sort of all the aspects of making comics as a single creator. So you also learn a lot about layout and production and bookmaking and there's a lot of also practical classes on um, professional stuff that you need to know about the industry and about publishing and getting an agent and filing your taxes, uh-huh. which, oh my oh. God, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that was like one of the highlights of our class. That's classes. great, actually. <laughs> oh, everyone should have that. I can't believe there was, I've, we've talked to other people who have who've visited other art schools and they're like, why aren't other artists learning about this stuff? Like <laughs> The practicalness of surviving as a creative out in the world. Um, and all in one or two years. That's kind of amazing. Impact for sure. So the first year is a very much sort of boot camp where you get a lot of rapid fire assignments, you know, one a week where you have one of them, for instance, that everybody gets is, uh, I think I remember y'all mentioning Ed Emberley and doodling, but uh, the Ed Emberley assignment, which is that you have an Ed Emberley book, sort of one of his basic kind of making certain shapes and characters. And then you have to make a story just using the Ed Emberley shapes. People come from all different backgrounds with their drawing styles and their skills. And so this is really like reducing it down to like, okay, we're telling a story and this is all you have. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Right, right. So that's one assignment. There's another one where you take an Aesop's fable and adapt it in some way into a comic, which leads to all kinds of different interpretations. The picture book assignment that I mentioned earlier, where you make a picture book, not necessarily complete. That one is um, because it's done in two weeks. You cannot make a picture book in two weeks. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, like kind of coming up with some concept illustrations and a story. So that's like the first part of the year, the first part of the year is all those little short assignments. And then you get into some longer ones in the second half of the year culminating in the mini thesis project, which is making a comic in one month, anywhere from, I would say, like 20 to 40 pages, depending on how many panels, how detailed each page is. Um, And then the second year is thesis year. And that is making something and demonstrating that you have spent nine months of intensive comic work. Some people make many small comics. Some folks make a graphic novel. I did not imagine that I'd be making an entire graphic novel, but that is, in fact, what I've been working on this year. Um, It's not going to be complete. It's not expected to be entirely complete. Having kind of like a a package to demonstrate, like, this is the work I've come up with um, at the end of it all, including deciding, are you going to 
find this book yourself? Are you going to send it out to a printer to be, oh, cool. to be made? What is your cover design? Is your um your thesis year done away from because you're back in Massachusetts, so but you're still working on your thesis? Yeah, the second year has a low residency option. So I did spend the first year up in Vermont, um, which turned out to be pretty serendipitous, actually. Like a lot of folks, I was fully remote for health reasons during COVID. And library work really sucks. Yeah. <laughs> fully remote, incredibly. And children's library work is like uh, it was so hard. Like, you know, the kids are out there, you know, they need stuff. And I just felt completely helpless being able to offer support and programming and just also knowing like nobody wants to get on the screen yeah. yet again at the end of it all, even if it means it's, you know, it's supposed to be. Yeah, it really, it was no good. So this opportunity, um, I decided to go for it. And being in Vermont was uh, really safe. Um, it was a state with really low COVID. They were taking it very seriously. And the school was also um, taking it very seriously. And so we have been fully masked this whole time whenever we're in the school buildings. They're only just going to lift masking requirements, I think, in the fall for the new class coming in. So, yeah. Um, that's great. Yeah, the timing. I mean, I think that's, you know, that's for a lot of people, they kind of saw the timing as something to do something. Right, do or to something. make a change. Uh, new. Yeah. <laughs> Say that to make a change yeah. or to try mm -hmm. something new. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that you did that. Um, I do have to say that we missed, I missed getting to see you as frequently because you were always on our, our virtual chats. Um, but it's so exciting to hear like what you've been up to. It's funny too, because I had been feeling really tired and burnt out um, in, in library life, like, and in the way that I think a lot of people can relate to where it's not about not loving the work or seeing the work is really important. It was more about me feeling like I was no longer able to put my best self into the work. And I felt like I was really letting down my team and the patrons and I wanted to be doing so much better than I was doing. Um, so I was like, I need to take a break. And then when I got to the school, you know, people were, everyone's really excited to find out that you've been, you, you're a librarian. <laughs> so I worked at the school library and, um, but also like just doing the work of studying comics and thinking about comics made me realize like, I just had a fire of inspiration thinking about the youngest readers and visual literacy and about, you know, we talked about picture books. Like one of the things that I loved about doing story times with kids is that like, they are just looking so hard and learning so constantly and when you read a book to kids like they see things when they can't yet read words like they are noticing yeah. so much that I gloss over with my eyeballs because I can read the words and I just love that and I like thinking about that with comics and I also you know as a librarian I was always passionate about comics so I was growing the collection from the time when it was very hard to do because we did not have reviews. We did not have, you know, same distribution levels of, of stuff that we do now. Um, 
But now seeing that like it is just taken for granted with the younger readers and they know how to read comics. So the comics market is only going to be ballooning because they have grown up with it and now they expect it at every age and they know how to read comics and which sounds like a, a no brainer, but honestly, like the times I've had a parent come in and be like, I don't understand what's, what this is. Yeah, well, I have that too with my students. Um, we have a whole mm -hmm. week of, of just focusing on graphic novels and comics. And I, I, I wish I could say I'm, I'm not that I'm surprised, but I'm not anymore. But um, every year there are at least a couple of people who are like, I've never read a graphic novel. I like what you're saying about, you know, young, young kids can sort of do it already. And can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, do you think it is because they're more accustomed to it? Or do you think this was always the case? And is it something you do talk about in your in your studies? I don't know that we talk specifically about how young kids read comics, because people are writing for all different age groups mm -hmm. and audiences. Um, I do think that there is a lot of awareness of the middle grade age level because it's super hot and on fire right now in uh, in the big five publishing world, although it is starting to slow down a little bit. Not that there aren't still plenty of middle grade readers, but now I think that they see the audiences aging into teen and an adult. They're sort of thinking about, okay, what, what should we start making for these audiences that are our middle graders of yore, you know, they read all the way to Telgemeier and now they're in high school. So, um, and I think, you know, manga is just, it is the biggest, it is the king. And that is, I think what a lot of my teens would, would read, like that was what they moved to. But I do think there are plenty who want something like those middle grade books and some of the young adult comics were hitting those marks, but a lot of them were actually kind of like, it's got teenagers, but it still felt... <laughs> Like, do you know that moment where you thought like teens were reading the Princess Diaries and then you realize like, actually, it's 10 year olds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These are kids reading up, yeah. you know. Um, so I think there are some really sweet books that were intended for teen audience. But actually, it's like, uh, no, this is not actually. Well, yeah, my nine year old just read all of Heartstopper. Yeah. Yeah. And my 13 year old did, too. And <clears throat> so it, it was the Massachusetts Teen Choice Book Award winner last year. So lots of teens were reading it. But there are younger kids, too, because they do. They read up. But something like Laura Dean is breaking up with me. Yeah. Like that is for teenagers. Yes. Like that is so clearly like about important relationship stuff and identity and gender and yeah. And abusive relationships. Like just, yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's not a whole lot of those mm -hmm. still, although more, you know, all the time, more good stuff. Do you um, want to talk about your, the, graphic novel you're working on sure okay i didn't know if it was like you know something top secret <laughs> i mean i i actually just came down from the school oh gosh what day is today sunday friday i was up there for um an event we have called industry day where we get to meet with um editors and agents oh, and awesome. um indie comics folks. Yeah, it is great. And like show our work and learn about like what they're looking for and um, just have some one-on-one -on -one time with them. But uh, I was also madly scanning um, some completed pages for the first chapter. So I've, it's a five chapter book. Um, so 
back in last summer, I, I had some vague ideas about what I, my thesis might be, but I wasn't sure. And I had also been told by everyone in the year ahead of me, like, you think you know what your thesis is, and then you change your mind completely and you get on a whole other thing. So I was like, just leave myself open to the possibilities. And uh, my partner and I always send each other like little articles and memes and things that we find during the day that we think are interesting or funny or enraging. And he had sent me an article about this group of women on Cape Cod, um, which is a place I've gone to my whole life. My parents live there now. And they are all seniors. And they started going to their local ponds in their area and diving into the ponds and retrieving all the garbage and the trash that they found on the bottom of the ponds and cleaning them up. And they call themselves Old Ladies Against Underwater Garbage. You can find their website. um, And they are, you have to be an old lady. Like, <laughs> they have try they have tryouts in the spring. You have to go. You have to. You have to be a decent swimmer. Yeah, um, diver a little bit of. Yeah. So this article was on. I think it was WGBH, but then it like got picked up and it's on a whole bunch of NPR stations now. And uh, like some of the things I said just really, really resonated with me about like feeling like that. Some one person said I think I felt like I was just too old for this sort of thing, and then this other person inspired me, and. <clears throat> The oldest member of the group who's in her 80s said something like, you know, the way I feel now about doing this and being with this group of women, I haven't felt this way since I was 12. And I don't think you rediscover that part of yourself until you're over 65. And I thought, how cool, like, you know, I think older people and especially older women, you know, there's a sort of invisibility that can happen. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think the idea like that is kind of push on us is like, oh, isn't that sad that you're like not hot and sexy anymore, which is like, oh God, do I have to still be hot and sexy, please? I'm exhausted. But, but, uh, you know, I was talking to somebody about it and I was saying, you know, and with that comes the sort of freedom to like do what you want and to like find a new purpose and, um, and that's this idea that like that freedom is akin to the way you were when you were younger. Not that you're like your life is easy or, you know, without problems, but like that sort of like, I guess like openness to all these possibilities that could be happening. Like how amazing is that? And so I thought, wow, um, I want to write about these ladies. And so I started with making a mini comic um, early on in the year. We have an assignment to do, 16 pages of comics and my advisor, um, who is Kathy G. Johnson of who wrote, who made the breakaways, which is, if you haven't read the breakaways, uh, just an astonishingly great middle grade graphic novel, um, said, I think you should just take all these ideas that you've been mulling over and try to make some mini comics about all of them. So I did a page about a, a nine or 10 page comic about the old ladies just sort of based around details from the article and, um, I just fell in love and, uh, I said, I think I want to, I want to make a comic about these ladies, but I don't think I want to, I thought at first I wanted to try to do nonfiction and try to interview them. And then I thought, you know, I think I'm going to go a fictional route. And Kathy's like, just make sure that you make your characters really distinct so that nobody feels like you're writing about them personally, <laughs> which, because they also teach middle grade and the breakaways is also an ensemble book. Like they're 
amazing at advising me about like, obviously I draw from life. Obviously I hear my students say things and I see them do things, but I don't want any one of my kids to pick up this book and be like, that's me. Oh no. Like, you know, yeah. Um, I said that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, finding inspiration, but then like leapfrogging into, into fiction, obviously like I do plan to reach out. I credit the old ladies. I plan to like let them know like, Hey, I made my thesis about you and it's all over. Um, <laughs> uh, not to be weird and like, no, I think that's smart. Yeah. But, uh, I have found as I'm, as I'm working on it, like I am finding ways where a lot of myself is in all these, I have five core characters. So each chapter is about one of them. Um, like personality traits of, of myself and also things that I remember like my mother or my grandmother or, you know, other folks doing. So, um, yeah. And it started out, you know, my, my jumping off point was like, well, let me think about some things that you could find at the bottom of the pond, which is super fun. <laughs> Lots of suggestions. And for a while I was like, is this going to go like real dark? Like they find a gun or a body. <laughs> or a car. That happened. Oh. Yeah. Somewhere. I don't know. I don't want to derail the convo. But no, all these things are so fun to think about. Right. I was, I'm even thinking like, maybe I'll do a mini comic where like they find like an elder God or something, but like, <laughs> right. You could, it could turn into like a fantasy all of a sudden, but yeah, thinking about like, okay, maybe I'll just start by thinking about who finds what. And, um, but then it ended up becoming much more about like their relationships with each other and, um, negotiating, you know, what I think maybe it would be like to negotiate the world as an older person when um, maybe you can't drive all anymore or, you know, maybe your kids are not spending as much time with you as you'd like, or maybe you're putting too much of yourself into your family and not giving yourself time anymore, uh -huh. which I think is relatable for everybody at any time. <laughs> yeah. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I think it sounds amazing. And could we read it someday when it's Yeah. Like the first chapter, you know, like I said, is I did complete the first chapter and I have a lot of um like kind of sketch form thumbnail pages for the other chapters and scripting. So it's it's fairly complete. Um and I'm planning to get those first chapter pages as a, like a mini comic. And then when I go to I'm going to um, the Boston Comics and Color Festival, which is on April 29th, I will have it there. And then there's other cons that I'm applying for that, you know, fingers crossed, maybe I'll get into some of them and then have it there, but I'll have it on my website. And yeah. Very cool. Yeah. That's so exciting. Um, back to the, um, the Boston Comics and Color Festival, though. Mm. Will you talk a little bit about what that's about? And you can oh, yeah. That? Correct my, you know, by the name, I, I, I had, I had just, you know, I had just associated like, oh yeah, comics and color, like, you know, colors. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Um, this is a, not about that. This so is a convention, a convention that um, is a focus and highlight on creators of color who are also making comics that um, are for or feature characters of color. So I am biracial. I am Puerto Rican. And so uh, I saw their table at MICE and, um, you know, I'm as having returned to Boston and in this capacity of like now being 
a cartoonist and an artist, I really am excited to find other ways to connect with the cartooning community. And um, there's all kinds of wonderful um, different groups out there. Like the um, the Boston Comics Roundtable is really welcoming and really wonderful. But I was just really excited to find that there was this organization that was focusing on specifically like creators of color and having them con- get connected and also find a platform to promote their right. work. So I feel like it again, maybe a stereotype or a generalization, but like when you think of comics, you think of white men, not just the audience, but the creators. And so this is saying, Hey, that's not true. <laughs> and yeah, you know, so, so much more um, to this. And as librarians, yeah. that's what you were saying. Like you think of white men as, as the creators and consumers, but also honestly, like the reason I think that there are, there have been comics being made by all these people all along. It's the people who write the comic scholarship who are also white dudes. Right. So like you don't necessarily get somebody who wants to write about like, oh, who are the women who are doing this? Who are the black women who are doing yeah. this? Because they were always there. Well, and the publishers and the, yeah, publishers, distributors, editors, reviewers. I was just explaining this to someone, you know, like, like how, you know, we look at like, book awards and like if you just look at who wins the awards you would think mm-hmm. <laughs> white, white dudes write the best right. um no that was, <laughs> not, that was not what was happening actually but um so I'm, I'm very excited about that so I think we might wrap up soon just looking at time but one of the things I wanted to bring up again was that uh Christy and I had asked you once we found out that you were going to school for cartooning. So a part of you, I just didn't know. I didn't know about your artistic side um, and this dream of yours. But um, we, we've been wanting to create a new logo, one we could own. Our logo now is our faces, but it was made with like Bitmoji. And if we ever want to sort of do something more um, with our faces, <laughs> we thought we should have something of our own. And we just really... Love the idea of asking you, someone we know, but also like supporting an artist of color too is really important to us, um, uh, including financially. So this, you know, I wanted to make that transparent because when we talk about our podcast and we have a Patreon and we have um, the coffee thing that you can buy us a coffee, <laughs> co buy coffee. <laughs> if you're listening, you get the joke. Um, <laughs> there's a joke in there somewhere, but you know, we we raise funds so that you know we could pay you we didn't want to ask something for free um so anyway all this to say we asked you to do a logo for us and um it hasn't come out yet because i'm still working on like what what happens when you do the trademark license if it'll work or a trademark and all that i gotta work on that but um i thought it'd be fun for you to talk about the process of doing a commission i think you had mentioned you'd done other commissions but if there was anything, you know, that came to mind that might be interesting for our listeners. Yeah. Um, I've done a, f- a couple, although I will say like not as many as, as some of my comics friends have. So it's still something that um, I am, I'm learning about, but I think, I think something that was great was that, you know, and now, especially that I have a website that I can point people to, it helps a lot is that um, just having examples of, my work to share with you so that you could 
get a sense of like, well, this is how I how I do. And if you want something that's in a really different style, then you need a different artist. Um, and and making that just really clear from the get go, I think is 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 part of what makes a commission go smooth. Like if somebody wants some kind of really hyper realistic superhero type thing, like that's not necessarily my jam. I'm working traditionally. I do a lot of work with watercolor and ink wash. So, and a more cartoony style. So um, it was nice to hear that like your response was like, oh yeah, we really like this. So <laughs> I didn't feel like pressure to try to make something that I was not as comfortable working right. with. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. I could totally see that someone having their own vision and they want you to fit into that as opposed mm-hmm. to going with like your style. And do you think, did, do you think you had a s- artistic style before you went to school or did it develop or maybe both those things? Yeah. I mean, I, I've been making art my whole life. My, my mother and my stepfather are both artists and my mother continues to paint. So I was always really encouraged to make art. I was given like the colored pencils and the paints all the time at Christmas. Um, And then when it came time for higher education and I wanted to take art classes, that was when the hammer came down. (laughs) My my parents were very afraid of me pursuing art as a career. Uh, They wanted me to have health insurance and security. (laughs) And uh, they were like, you can always you know, kind of do it on the side. And uh, I did take fine arts classes and studio arts classes in college. And um, outside of school, I went to the museum school, I went to mass art, I took, you know, continuing education classes there. Uh, so I did have, I guess I did, I did sort of develop a style and, you know, people have made various comparisons to like, I don't know, like Edward Gorey or Quentin Blake. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day who was looking at some of my comps. It's like, oh, I see like some kind of Sarah Varen this here. And I'm like, oh my God, hard eyes. Like Sarah Varen is the ultimate. <laughs> I'm just looking at your, your website now. And like that you do such a great job getting um, emotion with spare lines. And like, I especially love the the turkey in like. <laughs> yes. Like dude, that's such a skill to be able to like pick up find the emotion but not have it be like hyper realistic and I, I just love that about your work yeah and and we will be sure to put Maya's yes. website uh, oh yeah so, <laughs> so, so you can check it out and keep track of like yeah what's going on and maybe I mean we have a lot of people who yeah are in the book field librarians and booksellers and who knows I don't know who listens are there any publishers out there editors (laughs) I mean we could be seeing your books on library shelves and that would be so exciting oh my gosh if that's what you want yeah I take by your reaction this I mean the one of the things that I, I have also loved about this comic school is that they are straight up front practical about how you know what you want to make comics that's awesome this is not how you are going to make money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. You can make comics, but you yeah, might not be yeah. doing <laughs> Like nobody, nobody is trying to like make an illusion that like you are going to like there's 
your, there's your Dave Pilkeys and your Rand Telgemeyers, and they are few and far between. And, and, and the person who does Amulet, right? Oh. Those folks, they're doing, they're doing okay. But like, in general, like you would be, the, the, the ultimate dream is to like, maybe have enough of an advance so that you don't have to work full time in another job. Yeah. <laughs> right. But even then, or, or the other joke everyone makes is like, have a spouse in tech. <laughs> like, <laughs> because, yeah. Yeah. Some people move to Canada. That's how another way you can make it a little bit easier as a cartoonist, get yeah, that universal wow. health care. But uh, yeah, yeah. Whole other episode, <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> but in a way, it's like the thing of, it kind of gets to the essence of like, you know, all of us at the cartoon school, like nobody is there because they want to make a lot of money. We want to make comics. Right. And I remember we had some conversations about sort of like what, is it about making comics as an art form that might be different? And I think, you know, everybody makes art that is just for them and they don't necessarily share it. But comics, I feel like the end goal is really to have other people look at it and other people inter interpret it. Like you're a storyteller and somebody needs to look at the story. So even if you're not making money, you want people to see what you do. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. I can totally see that. I think it also, again, going back to our listeners, you know, it's a good reminder that not every author, illustrator, book creator, you know, is one of those biggies, you know, <laughs> sort of sitting on a big pile of cash. <laughs> like um, a dragon. So, you know, it's it's really important to support, you know, support the art, support book creators buy the books, you know, it's, it's really important. Even, you know, when Christy talked earlier about buying a book from the bookstore, like we often talk about, we don't buy books because we get them from the library. And of course, you know, we want that. That's important. But I do try to make it a point to, to buy books and I will choose, you know, a lot of times the, not the big right. names, yeah. you know, not, not to deny them, but, you know, I, if I'm going to spend money on a book, I want to, I like to think that it's, supporting this, you know, actual human person that, um, you know, maybe really could use that one extra sale, but it just got me thinking about that. Like the, the, those huge stories, it's just like being like a star athlete on a, you know, national team. There are so many other people um, who are doing the work yeah. who aren't the, the ones who are like wealthy because of the work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. We'll ever see that. Uh, fame but anyway well i'm just excited that we um know you and get to say that like we've known you for a long time and that we have a piece of your art can forever connected to our podcast it just means so much so thank you for agreeing oh. to um to take on the commission and then also agreeing to be a guest this has been fantastic oh it was an honor i'm to make the art for you and to be on the podcast, I feel like the both of you have done so much for me and so many other librarians as far as finding us tools and resources and, you know, connecting us to each other because there are a lot of lonely single children librarians in a library system out there who are like, right. I don't know how to deal with XYZ and 
really need these networks. So yeah. Oh, well, thank you. That's you do sweet. important work, <laughs> and you have fun. Try, try, try. If I always say, if I don't laugh, I'm going to cry. So <laughs> laugh about it all. But yes, thank you again, and we. Um, we'll just close out in our usual way and wish everyone happy. Before reading. we, we, oh, what? And then I know we just didn't this time. We haven't uh, shared how people can follow us, and um, so subscribe on all of their podcast platforms. Um, we, you can follow us on Instagram. This pod is overdue. Um, we love um, connecting with people there. You can send us messages. Um, you also can send us questions and anything else you want to this pod is overdue at gmail.com. We love hearing from people. Um, we'd love to know where you're from too. And if you have any questions for us for future episodes, there you go. Thank you so much. Good job, Christy, remembering that. <laughs> and I did mention our our Patreon. Yeah. So if you want to help us uh, that way, we love, but also reviews. Yes, reviews are great. And just listening, subscribing, if all that great good reviews. stuff. So we can, <laughs> yeah, only the good reviews, please. I'll delete the others. <laughs> just kidding. I don't, I don't even know if I know can. how to do that. Um, <laughs> that would not, not yeah. be cool. This isn't Yelp, after right. all. Um, so yes, we do thank our listeners and we want, definitely want to hear from you. We thank Maya again for joining and Maya, us. How and can so, people follow you? Oh, yeah. My website is um, Maya Escobar, my full name, dot art, A-R-T, which is an extremely cool URL ending I discovered. So yeah. I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> Learn something new every day. Um, yes, thank you for sharing that. I will put it in our show notes as well as the books we talked about, um, the comics festivals that Maya mentioned. I'll get them all on there. And yes, visit our visit our Instagram, visit our website, and happy, happy reading. reading, everybody. Happy reading. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to This Podcast is Overdue with Christy and April. Bye, everyone. Happy reading. We are recording now.